Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of Logicast. Today is a very special edition of Logicast because we're coming to you on location from Barcelona. We're here for our annual log-off conference uh, where we're getting our remote workers out of their sheds for a change uh, and into a hotel uh, where we can all meet one another, in many cases for the first time, to collaborate uh, and uh, share ideas, plan for the future, and celebrate uh, what we've achieved thus far. So um, yeah, a little bit different. You perhaps haven't seen me without my headphones on before. So these are my ears. Uh, you won't have seen those before on the podcast, uh, but uh, I'm joined as always uh, in the same room today by my colleague, John Goodall. So how are you doing today, John? Oh, I'm still full from all the tapas last night. Ridiculous. There was a lot of tapas last night. So uh, yeah, I agree, but it was a fantastic meal uh, nonetheless. Um, so although we're on location, uh, that's the only thing that's different. We're going to bring you a regular episode of Logicast. If you're new to the podcast, um, once a week, um, I collate a uh, list of AWS news, which I share via my AWS News Roundup newsletter. John and I then pick a subset of those articles, which we want to talk about in a little bit more detail on the podcast. Um, so uh, we've got uh, a few of the articles um, this week to talk about. And the first one of those um, is about uh, a new preview uh, that's come out called MountPoint, which is a specialized open source Rust client to mount S3 storage into the file system. Now, Rust did actually come into the conversation yesterday. Um, and uh, I think you mentioned, John, that 50% of a Rust developer's job is talking about Rust. Yeah, so, yeah it seems to be. Yeah. So let's talk about Rust. <laughs> I mean, we can't not. You come to an event, you talk about Rust, and you talk about Kubernetes, right? I don't know if we've got Kubernetes later. We haven't got Kubernetes, but you said Kubernetes. So yeah, uh, what, uh, what cloud podcast is complete without the word Kubernetes? Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting one that they say it's a Rust client because I don't think it's it's built in Rust, but I don't think you can only use it with Rust, right? Because it's a file system. So 50% of a Rust dev's job is that, oh, I did this in Rust. This is great because we did it in Rust. Who gives a shit? Like, who cares? The beep. Sorry, the beep came a bit late there. Uh, was it? <laughs> the more interesting <laughs> thing for me is this is an AWS provided um, tool that is mounting into the file system from S3. These things exist already, S3 FS, S3 Fuse, same thing, call it different things if you like, um, already does this, right? So you can mount it onto your Linux servers, but AWS have come out and said, we're gonna do it ourselves rather than an open source project. This is a little bit AWS stealing everybody's lunch, but then S3, uh, S3 FS was free anyway. So how much lunch was there really to steal? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, this is obviously, uh, I should have prefaced this because this is almost an S3 special uh, as well as a log off <laughs> Barcelona special uh, because uh, earlier this month was Pi Day 3.14, um, which is uh, the birthday of the Amazon S3 service, which I think we've got an article later on uh, in the agenda for that. But uh, I think... Um, S3 turns 17 this year, which means uh, it's uh, if it could drive, it would be old enough to drive in the UK and uh, almost old enough to vote. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is one of the announcements that came out of Pi Day in yeah. terms of new S3 features that are available. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else interesting to say about Mount Point particularly. It's a little short one, but as I say, it's always interesting when AWS comes out with a service that's doing something that an open source service is already doing because they've kind of recognized the need, listened to the customer and pinched something from open source. 
So do you want to just talk about Rust then? No. Because you're not a Rust developer. No. Okay, so 50% of your job is not talking about Rust. No, it's talking about Python. Fine, okay. So moving swiftly on to an article which is neither about S3 nor Python. Uh, the next article we wanted to talk about today uh, was uh, the, the fact that uh, AWS Chatbot now integrates with Microsoft Teams. Um, so... Um, I'm not really familiar with AWS Chatbot. It's not something that uh, I've learned about on my certification journey or, or really used. Um, so uh, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about what AWS Chatbot actually is uh, and why it might be a benefit to customers uh, that it actually now integrates with Microsoft Teams. I think you could probably work out what AWS Chatbot is without probably, me explaining yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Is it like ChatGPT but not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, sort of. Um, it's a way of making chatbots for your own apps and websites and bits and pieces, right? Um, there's a couple of services that you can use with AWS to make them, chatbot being one of them, um, Polly and whatever the reverse of Polly is that does text-to-speech and speech-to-text and all that kind of thing. Um, if you've used an Amazon Echo, then you will have worked with some of these services. A lot of them are based on chatbot. Um so it's just kind of doing that um, chat ops, human interaction with your backend systems. You'll be using an Amazon Echo soon, won't you? Yeah. I don't know whether you've already got one, but you did win one yesterday in the great Logicata quiz. I do have one, but it's 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 a retro Gen 1 big chunky thing. So uh, This is a Gen 5, the very latest. Um, although he didn't actually win. He came second, but the winner didn't want to win because he was on the management team, and therefore he thought he should forfeit the prize and give it to John. So uh, it felt like cheating. <laughs> I was there for everything. It felt like cheating. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's a reasonable stance to take. Um, integrating chatbot with Teams is is interesting, right? Because it's AWS A integrating with a Microsoft service, which is like, okay, a bit odd. Why are they doing that? Not something they usually do, but they do occasionally. Um, I think it already integrates with Slack and possibly Discord and something else in there and that kind of thing. And it, the fact that they bring it into Teams is a good step for people that are lumbered with Teams. Which is, I think, most of the world, is it mm. not? Um, as uh, Teams is bundled for free with Microsoft 365, which, of course, is the leading yeah. uh, desktop operating system. And therefore, people just use it by default because... They're already paying for it, so why not use it? Oh, yeah, this was something that I definitely saw at, at the sharp end when the pandemic all sort of kicked off was firm I was at the time. We were using Slack for the dev team and everyone was in the office or most of the people were in the office. So if someone from sales or marketing or client support or whatever wanted to talk to someone from tech, they'd just walk over or they'd send an email. Right? Yeah. Um, obviously, you couldn't just walk over when everyone was not allowed to leave their house anymore and teams got rolled out to the entire company incredibly rapidly because they're already paying for Office 365. Oh, it's called Microsoft 365 now. but whatever. It is now called Microsoft 365. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But they're all, already paying for it. Teams came with it. Oh, we're just using Teams. All of the tech department were up in arms saying, yes, but Teams is disgusting. We don't want to use it. It's awful. It's horrible. It's nasty. So they came to the caveat of, okay, well, internally, we can keep using Slack because that's what we're used to. But we can't pay for premium Slack for everybody else when we're already paying for teams, we can't justify it. So that is a scenario that I think a lot of the world found themselves in because all of a sudden they had to communicate remotely with people. And the teams integrations for tech things have always been a bit slow, a bit lacking, a bit late to the party. And I mean, this is kind of evidence of that, right? Because it's now integrating with it after teams has been kind of the dominant player in the market for what, three years, something like that. And they finally sort of gone, okay, yeah, we need to add it. So yeah, have. 
Yeah, I guess uh, by popular customer demand, uh, as is the way with many new AWS features, they listen to the customer and uh, give them what they need. So uh, moving on to the next article, something we talk about a lot, uh, something we talked about a lot yesterday uh, in our meeting here in Barcelona, and that is multi-account strategy uh, for small and medium businesses. So of course, a lot of what AWS do tends to be geared towards the enterprise uh, because all of the FTSE 500, FTSE 1000, whatever uh, index you want to look at, uh, all of those large enterprise organizations are AWS customers. But they also have many, many more uh, small and medium businesses, which, of course, is our uh, marketplace, uh, the types of customers that we serve. And we are regularly advocating uh, for multi-account strategy. So many of the businesses that we talk to when we first engage, they'll be in a single AWS account. They might have separate dev, staging, production workloads, all running in the same account, and it all works fine, but uh, we don't think that's a good idea, and uh, AWS obviously don't think that's a good idea either. So why is that, John? Why? why? And of course, I know the answer, but I'm just playing the host, uh, not to make myself look completely thick. Uh, but, yeah, you've uh, got more yeah. certs than I do. You should be able to answer this. Hey, yeah, how much does that cost to get imported? Too much, yeah, too much. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're right. We see quite a lot with kind of, I mean, AWS even have their own acronym for this. It's SMB in AWS land, where everyone has to call it an SME, but that means something different to Amazon. Um, what we find quite often is, as you say, they're in one account. They, If we're lucky, they've got separate VPCs, which is kind of the best that you can hope for in that kind of strategy and that kind of structure. Um, they just kind of set the account up, popped it on someone's credit card, and they just kept going. Right? And they just kept building and kept building and kept building. And as we said, I think yesterday, and we've said previously as well on the podcast, that the great thing about the cloud is because everyone can use it with a credit card, so everyone can get going. But the worst thing about the cloud is everyone can use it with a credit card and just get going. With no handholding, no guardrails, and you can make all sorts of horrible mistakes. And that's kind of one of them. The big thing for multi-account versus single account is... Um, Blast radius is kind of the best way of describing it. Your dev resources might not necessarily be as secure as your prod resources. Staging resources might not be as secure as prod or, or whatever. If someone violates one of those boxes, God, that's a dirty word. If someone breaks, <laughs> someone breaks into one of those boxes, then what you're seeing is it's much easier to pivot from a dev to a staging to a prod or whatever because they're all kind of in the same account. They're all in the same VPC, quite likely. They're going to talk to each other natively. Uh, maybe if they've done things right, then the security groups are kind of preventing direct traffic. But that kind of doesn't matter because you're in the same account. You've got, if you're on the box, you've got access to the environment variables that probably contain some credentials or the credentials might very well be baked into the box if you're that early in the journey. And then, oh, look, I've got admin access in the account itself and now I can do whatever I want. And what oft, quite, quite often what we find is people start mining Bitcoin. They don't actually do anything particularly harmful to your workloads because it's just not interesting. They just run up your bill. They just run up your bill for mm. them. Yeah, start mining Monero, I think, is what they tend to mine. The upshot of going multi-account is dev, staging, prod, and all the rest of it are completely isolated from each other with really hard lines between them because accounts don't natively trust each other. You have to tell them to do it. AWS have made some strides with this. Um, I saw in the news this week, it's not in our list, but they've made some changes to IAM so that you can restrict it 
if it's an instance profile that the traffic must come from that instance. So you can say, you know, this instance profile applies to kind of these half a dozen servers. And if traffic isn't coming from those half a dozen servers, then just block the requests. But that, again, it's not a panacea, right? Because you still have admin, you can still get access to uh, the metadata service, you can get access to the credentials and you can kind of start hopping. But obviously if you don't have, if you're not in the same account, that's a lot harder to do because they don't int intrinsically trust each other. Yeah. And I guess things like uh, service control policies, uh, scheduling, um, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people are running their uh, dev and staging workloads 24 7, 365 along with their production workloads, yet their dev team only work nine to five. Um, separating out the accounts makes that a lot easier, as I understand it, right? Yeah, so the EC2 instant scheduler is one of those things that does that. Um, you kind of control what it talks to via tags, but it's obviously really easy to cock that up and. and accidentally schedule your product instance to turn off overnight and wake your IC and your SREs up, which is obviously not ideal. Um, so by separating out, again, blast radius, logical isolation of concern. And then on top of that, it means that you can do things like security accounts. You can put CloudTrail logging to a completely different account to the one that it's monitoring, which is great because it means that in the case of, um, I think it was Ubiquiti that had this disgruntled engineer that went around deleting things and being generally a nasty person. The first thing he did was he turned the cloud trail logging to uh, one day. So there'd be no evidence of it. Yeah. And if you're logging to a different account that the same people don't have access to, because that's key, right? It's not just a different account. It's a different account with different permissions. So that say only the auditors can go and delete things from that or whatever, or no one can delete from that account for argument's sake then it means that, again, disgruntled bad actors internally, externally, whatever, can't go and start deleting your security controls as well. And that's uh, bad actors as in cyber criminals rather than um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of one now, but I don't really want to insult anybody uh, publicly. So uh, <laughs> we're not talking about uh, people in Hollywood who've made it but shouldn't. <laughs> so how does uh, multi-account strategy differ for small and medium businesses? Um, compared to large organizations, does it? Or is this more a case um, of advocating it for? I, I think a bit of both, right? So there's definitely some advocation that needs to go on because as we find in the SMB space, more in the S than the M, because the M seem to have sort of gone through some of that journey, certainly in the S level. It's people just that haven't understood why you should do this because it's one dev that's written all the code, built all the app, done the infrastructure, and they kind of, they're a dev, they're not an ops person, they're not an infrastructure person. So they just kind of haven't understood it particularly. So there's definitely some advocation going on there. The other side of which um, for small businesses is actually slightly simpler than it is for large businesses, right? I've worked in some seriously big deployments of organizations using Control Tower and all the rest of it. And you end up with account vending machines and one account per dev and only certain services being enabled. And all of that's really complicated to build. In an SMB space where you've got a shared dev account, a shared staging account, and your production account, or maybe a second production account for running in a different region or whatever, all that's fine because you've got your four accounts and you've got your four kind of standard accounts because you know the management, the auditing, the security, and the one that we create to manage the organization itself that isn't the master. So you you, you don't have two thousand accounts; you've got eight, which sounds like a lot. It does. It sounds like a lot to someone that's only been working in one, but it means that as as we say, it's much better segregation and separation of duties and yeah on the small and medium side it's actually simpler yeah cool 
Moving back then to the subject matter of uh, this week's mm -hmm. special, we're back onto uh, S3, um, and we've got this article here. We had to choose it because it had such a great title. Uh, it's called uh, S3, You Can Check Out But Can Never Leave. Uh, that's the... Uh, Hotel uh, California. Hotel California, that's the one. I had Hollywood Hotel going around in my head, which was completely that's wrong. That's very It's the uh, Hotel California uh, lyric. Um, so, uh, again, well, this I is... I think that song's older than I am, I think. Lots of things are older than you are, including me. But uh, yeah, so um, yeah, so <laughs> the, the the article titled based on the uh, Hotel California lyric um, S three you can check out, but you can never leave. This is a third party uh, review of a lot of the announcements that were made um, at Pi Day. Um, so uh, we'll come on to some of those in the next article. But really, the uh, the, the sort of main gist of this article is, yeah. Thanks, guys. Loads of great new features, but it still costs a bloody fortune yeah. to get your data out if you want to get it out. So um, why might you want to get it out? What's your view on uh, on egress costs? Yeah, so it's not S3 specifically. I think they just kind of picked on it, right? Because S3 to the internet has an egress, but then CloudFront to the internet has an egress, and they're pretty similar. EC2 to the internet has an egress, and again, it's about the same sort of price, right? So they just kind of picked S3. In terms of egress fees, frankly, I think they're criminal. They're just, no, I, d I don't like that they exist at all. Um, the fact that someone like Cloudflare can come along with their, they call it R2 service, um, and say, we are significantly cheaper than S3 and we're compatible with all your S3 APIs and all the rest of it, use us instead. Why are they charging some? I don't get it. I don't get it. Mm. I mean, the, the key example of people forgetting that egress is the thing that I always like to use because we play in the SMB space, you kind of expect people to forget in that kind of level because they're not, as we said in the previous one, they're not necessarily experts in dealing and managing the cloud. Uh, NASA cocked this up, of all people. You'd expect them to get it right, but no. They it's not rocket science. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this bit, this bit wasn't. It was what they'd done is they'd imported something like 50 petabytes or something stupid of data into S3 and into the AWS cloud um, because as you can imagine they got a lot of data from all of the sets bits and pieces right about rocket science about rockets and things mm. that blow up that shouldn't or don't that should and mm. yeah um, and aliens <laughs> probably I'd like to think there's some data about aliens in there that we just don't know about <laughs> allegedly yeah. allegedly <laughs> um, and it was it was data lake stuff right and what they were doing is they'd forgotten that you had to pay to get the data back out again for the analysis that they were then continuing to do on-prem because they didn't want to pay for the HP, the high-performance compute costs. Yeah. So they were still running that on-prem, but they ended up just whizzing the data back and forth between S3 and various bits of AWS and on-prem for the analysis and back up again. And obviously importing it's free, except if you think it's like snowballs don't have to be up. But, you know, day-to-day -day imports were free, but they ended up with a bill like 500 times higher than they expected it to be because they forgot about egress. Mm -hmm. And when someone like that is screwing it up, you've got to question whether AWS really are as customer-obsessed as they claim to be. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem very good for the customer when if you're getting the data in for free and you're charging $0.09 cents a gigabyte to get it out again, that seems optimizing for charging because it's not it's costing AWS the same amount of money to run the infrastructure, whether data's going in or data's going out. So that well, seems optimized to cost money. 
Not necessarily, because if you're running a hosting service, most traffic is going out. So your biggest cost is going out. Oh, I appreciate so your pipes that, are always but... going to be need to be sized for the outbound, because if you're hosting websites, web applications, etc., people are making small requests in to download content, uh, then the outbound pipe is always going to be... So charge for in and charge for out, but charge evenly. This yeah, is sort of my point, right? If, if you've got a little bit of traffic going in, and that's free, but a lot of traffic going out, and that's expensive, that just feels anti-consumer mm. to me if 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 you're going to make the argument that you've got lots of traffic going out and a little bit of traffic going in charge bi-directionally but make it cheaper yeah yeah well there we go there's <laughs> john's john's controversial views on aws egress costs i just wanted to pick on a few of the stats in this article because there's as you know i like big numbers like and uh, there are some big numbers i haven't got as far as the graph i was just looking at some of these numbers here that uh uh, which came out of the, uh, the the Pi Day presentation. The S3 um, storage service now holds more than 280 trillion objects. Um, I can't even fathom that. I, I don't even know how to write. To, obviously, this was written 280 and the word trillion. I wouldn't even know how to go about writing. A trillion the is number. nine zeros. Nine zeros. Nine zeros. So 280-000-000-000. That's a lot of objects. Anyway, a lot of zeros objects. Or is it 12 zeros? It's a lot of cat photos. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I mean, I mean yeah. I've uploaded several thousand cat photos to exactly, S3. Yeah. So. so you've contributed to that uh, 280 trillion objects there. Um, so, uh, and the, the platform also averages over 100 million requests per second, which is wow. just mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-boggling, isn't it? Um, and then... Um, the S3 performs over 4 billion checksum computations per second. That's insane. <laughs> and uh, every day, people restore on average more than one petabyte from the S3 Glacier Flexible Retrieval and S3 Glacier Deep Archive storage classes. Uh, if, so, if it's a petabyte a day, people are probably putting it in Glacier too soon. Yeah. That's a, or there's just you so say, much data in there. You say Glacier, kind of... I say Glacier. Tomato, tomato, potato, but let's call the whole thing off. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, I'm not saying either is correct, but uh, just picking up on the fact that we have pronounced it differently. So uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's it. For... At least you didn't call it a Glacier. Yeah, <laughs> Glacier. Uh, so uh, yeah, that, that's uh, that's it for the big numbers that I wanted to highlight. Um, so uh, let's move on to the final article, which I guess is going to be more of the same because it's another article uh, about yeah. S3 at Pi Day. Um, but um, let's see what else we can pick out of this one. Um, so um, this one obviously highlighting the 11 nines durability, which is one of the key features of S3. Yes. Uh, what on earth is 11 nines durability? This is actually something that came up at a cloud event a couple of um, months ago that we were at. Now, I honestly thought the guy was asking the question genuinely, and I spoke to him afterwards and he said he was trolling, which is always fun. But there Not we are. trolling. Trolling, trolling. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was being a troll, but he didn't. Am I trolling you now on your pronunciation of? Uh... No, you're just being pain. <laughs> I don't. I don't genuinely to the listeners, and you might be listening. I don't think you live under a bridge. You were just being difficult. <laughs> so eleven nines of availability is ninety nine point, and then nine nines afterwards, like nine of the character nine. Right? Goes on and on and on, um, and it might say in the article. I don't know, but the 
what that functionally means is if you kept an amount of data for a period of time, you might expect to lose the tiniest percentage of it eventually. Yeah. It's something like you upload 100 gigabytes for 100 years and you might lose one meg or, or something of that infinitesimally small level. What this is saying, of course, is no storage is perfect, but S3 gets pretty bloody close. Yeah. That's the durability, right? What this means is the data will be available. Not that you can always get to it, because that's only four nines of availability, which is still, I think, you might expect four minutes of downtime a month, which is, I mean, it's not a lot. Let's be honest, it's not a lot. Um, but it's very important to be clear that durability and availability aren't the same thing, right? You might not always be able to get to it, but you can expect pretty reliably that it's not going to be mysteriously deleted on you. Yeah. Cool. So another one that I wanted to pick up from this one, uh, the intelligent tiering. I'm not sure how long that's been around now, but I think it's a relatively new feature, relatively yeah, new yeah, feature, intelligent like tiering. So in a minute, you can tell us what that is. But uh, there's a statistic here uh, that since it was launched, whenever that was. Uh, oh, no. Uh, no, it doesn't, it doesn't actually say when it was launched. But yeah, it was, it's a relatively new feature. Yeah. Since intelligent tiering was launched, uh, customers have saved $1 billion dollars by using intelligent tiering. Again, another mind-boggling statistic, uh, but that's uh, $1 billion of money that they would have uh, simply wasted if they had not been using intelligent tiering. And we've been advocating intelligent tiering to some of our customers who have got massive amounts of data mm. in S3, all stored on the standard tier, which is great. You need to access it quickly. Um, tell us a bit about intelligent tiering and why, what the benefits might be. So, again, a little bit of context, because we might not know how many zeros are in a trillion, but I do know an interesting fact about a million versus a billion. A million seconds is a little bit over a week. A billion seconds is 30 years. Crikey. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. So that's, it's, it's a big number. It's a lot of money. Yeah. What intelligent tiering is doing is it's looking at the data that you're holding. It's looking at the API calls that you're making, what items of data that you're getting regularly and not getting regularly, and where you're using them and all that kind of thing. And it's saying, oh, you haven't looked at that bit of data for two weeks, so we can probably move that to a cheaper version of storage because you don't necessarily need it. But it's doing that kind of on mass across your entire suite, right? So on average, you are not necessarily using your data after it's been in the bucket for two weeks, three weeks, a month, six months, whatever. So we can transition it to a cheaper version of storage. Once in a while, you're going to get it back from that storage so that when we'll, we'll have sort of a life cycle rule that says that, okay, you need it every day for two weeks. So we'll leave it in hot storage. And then you need it once a week for six months. So we'll put it in slightly cooler storage that's cheaper to hold there, but it takes a minute or two to get it out. And then you never touch it again. So we'll stick it in deep archive. It's done that for you using the power of AI which I have to say in a silly voice because I can't take it seriously. <laughs> the power of AI. Yeah, I know, right? It's, it's like a film <laughs> announcer. Um, using some just very clever logic, basically, to work out where you are and aren't using data, what it looks like, and all that kind of thing. And it saves you a whole buttload of money. Yes, you could go and do this yourself. You could set up rules yourself. A, a, a buttload or a, but a bucket load? A bu butt bucket, I don't know. How big's the bum? <laughs> it's not as big as a big bucket. How big's the bucket? <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot, right? <laughs> You could go and do it all yourself if you really wanted to, but no one's got time for that. Or indeed the ability, because if you're storing this huge quantity of data, you don't necessarily have the brain to comprehend all of that, all the data available. Or, yeah, you could go and get it through CloudTrail, but 
do something that moves the needle, do something that makes the boat go faster. Piddling around with your storage costs ain't it, Chief. Mm -hmm. So stick it on. Let AI do it for you. Save yourself a billion dollars. <laughs> What a great, uh, what a great pitch! I guess for intelligent tiering. Was there anything else you wanted to highlight from this article, John? Um, there was a funny one because there was—I um, don't know if it's an S3 thing or if it's a Lambda thing or a CloudFront thing—but I did see something as well that said there's now like a third way of, of changing content that's come out of S3 and served to the user. Because there was um, CloudFront functions, then there was Lambda at Edge, and now there's another one based on S3. It's like just Jesus, pick one and make it work. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> well, that brings us neatly to the end of this uh, special edition of uh, Logicast, brought to you from our log-off offsite meeting in Barcelona. So uh, thanks, as always, for listening. We'll be back next week in our sheds, no doubt, <laughs> uh, for a regular edition of the Logicast podcast. So we'll see you next time. Cheers.